Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for another one of our bonus episodes of Franchise Focus. Uh, this time we're focusing on the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, first, we'll talk about their current team direction and what the outlook is for them uh, right now and going forward. Then we'll go into a historic team from that franchise's history. And then we will talk about, uh, lastly, we'll talk about an important player from that team's history. Uh, usually uh, a legend or a standout statistically, but not always what we technically think of as a legend. Sometimes it's just a player who is solid, but held a lot of importance for that franchise, at least in my view. Uh, so let's get right into it. For the Hornets, um, this is a lot more complicated in comparison to some of the other teams we've talked about. We've had it easy as far as a lot of teams that have had steady, nice rebuilds that have been ultimately successful. You think of the the Milwaukee Bucks, especially. Um, Miami Heat, a little bit, were kind of in that vein. Uh, to an extent, the Atlanta Hawks, you know, teams that had a period where they had slumped and then they drafted talent or they added guys through free agency and then they built back into a, a contending competitive team. For the Hornets, it's not quite that simple right now they have been building in a sense um although not quite uh as consistently and there's still a lot of questions with this team so basically the kind of current iteration of the hornets starts after the uh 2018 2019 season in my view of course that was the last year that uh kemba walker was on the roster he was their focal point their star player their multiple time all-star after the 2019 season, he decided to, um, ch- you know, change the scenery, t- decided to pursue a little bit more team success uh, with the Boston Celtics franchise. And thus the Hornets were put into a, a rebuilding type of a situation uh, going into the 2019-2020 season. Uh, without Kemba Walker, they had uh, Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier, both of whom had bright spots. Uh, Rozier came over from... The Celtics, I think that might have potentially been a sign and trade. Let me double check that actually, because I'm curious. Uh, yes, it was a sign and trade kind of a situation uh, with the Hornets to get Terry Rozier. So they get a good productive point guard in return. So that deal itself, the Hornets didn't end up too bad getting Rozier back. He becomes a starting guard for them and a consistent 18 to 20 point scorer. And he started that right off the bat. Devontae Graham was kind of an overachiever that season, averaging 18 points and seven assists, uh, a standout. Miles Bridges, uh, was that his rookie year? Let's double check. Uh, yes, no, his second year. Uh, got a lot more opportunity, became kind of a starter. P.J. Washington in his rookie year. I'm pretty sure that was his rookie year, yes. Uh, so they had some pieces. They were starting to show you know, some growth. Uh, of course, that they've still finished with uh, – not as stellar of a, of a record as they would hope. Uh, in that draft, they were able to get LaMelo Ball, uh, which, of course, became their, you know, here's our new franchise cornerstone. They also add Gordon Hayward in free agency. And, uh, you know, things improved. They were, it was a better record overall. They, of course, you know, we mentioned Hayward. They have Rozier. They have LaMelo Ball, who uh, showed already in that first season that he was going to be, uh, an important piece. Devontae Graham kind of regressed, uh, but Rozier still pl- played strong. PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, uh, Zeller, you know. So they were starting to kind of have a lot more changeover from the holdouts from the Kemba Walker years into more of the current tooling of the roster. 
And the last season, they had a pretty strong season overall. Uh, just a little bit of a competitive East prevented them from potentially making, uh, you know, playoff picture. They were in the play-in picture, didn't uh, get very far in that. But uh, 43 and 39 last season, you know, LaMelo Ball took another step forward. He was available, um, you know, consistent. He was an all-star. Um Hayward missed some time, but he was still productive when he played. Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges took a step forward and really played a great season. 20.7 boards and four assists, average over 80 games. Um, they still had questions kind of at center. They they added Mason Plumley, who was still who's been productive. Uh, but they had some questions. Maybe power forward was more of their question. You know, if Bridges was that small forward. Where does Hayward fit in? Is he a power forward? What about P.J. Washington? So it wasn't a fully complete roster, but they were definitely trending in the right direction. And this season, they've kind of lost that. Um, they made a coaching change. They Their new head coach this season is Steve Clifford, who actually has already coached with the Hornets. He coached them when they made the playoffs uh, both times with Kemba Walker. So I want to say it was two times. Yes, both times with Kemba Walker. So – he was the coach there. He's, you know, maybe their most, one of their most successful coaches in the franchise history. Um, so I don't really feel like you blame this on the coaching. Certainly a factor has been LaMelo Ball. Uh, he's played 32 games thus far uh, of a possible, you know, looks like Mason Plumlee, who I think has played every game this season, 56. So he's missed 20, 20 plus games. He's, continued to elevate his statistical performance when he's played, but him missing time has certainly been a factor. They bring back PJ Washington as a starter. They have Kelly Oubre now, who's been very productive, but he's missed a bunch of time as well. Hayward's missed time. And I think Miles Bridges' absence is probably a big part of that. Um, of course, if you're, if you're not familiar, we might have glossed over this a bit in our, our previews. I can't remember exactly. That's several months back, but uh, Miles Bridges, of course, this offseason was a, a key piece of that potential free agent, maybe a trade market. I forget his exact contract situation, but he uh, had legal uh, issues, law issues. It was something oh, along the lines of a potential domestic, domestic violence issue. If I remember correctly, before I misspeak, let me double check on this I got to, you know, should have had this pulled up already. Yes, domestic violence charge. Uh, that was June of 2022. So right kind of in the heat of the, the offseason. Um, he was arrested in Los Angeles for felony domestic violence. Um, it, yeah, domestic violence. Of course, that has prevented him from playing in the NBA this season. I, I'm not sure if those legal disputes are still ongoing if that's been resolved if it's a hornet's decision that we don't that they don't want that to be a part of their team that has probably caused a bit of a cloud along with the injuries and missing they haven't had a consistent lineup um they haven't had their star player as consistently as they would hope and their front court or their their wings excuse me especially with bridges that's been kind of a, a muddled area so it's understandable that they've had struggles and they've had kind of a setback year, but there's still some questions as far as the future outlook. Um, I mentioned Mark Williams um, very recently talking about, 
I like his prospect as a center for them. Physical center, defensive center, rebounder, you know, shot blocker, you know, just what you need at the center spot. He's not going to be an overwhelming offensive threat, but they don't necessarily need him to be. Huge body. I mean, he's like 7'1", 7'2", 7'1", 240 uh, out of Duke. You know, that's probably their future at the center, and that gives them the physicality they haven't really had. Their longtime centers, Mason Plumley, of course, he just got traded, and Cody Zeller are not physical presences inside. Biombo, when he's played, has given him a touch of that, but he's been undersized. So now you have Williams, who I expect to be the future piece there. Um, Lamella Ball, of course, a point. Rozier has been solid. Um, his fit is a bit odd, though. I mean, he's a shooting guard at six one, a bit undersized. He feels more like he's just been playing out of position these last few years. It feels like he could be a point guard on just about any other team, back up or starting, but he's forced to play the shooting guard because they have LaMelo Ball there. And so that's an odd fit. I have questions about that. P.J. Washington's a serviceable power forward. He could be a starter for them and I think be okay. They probably need a a stronger wing. And again, Miles Bridges, with his development last year, could have been that additional piece, but now – it looks like he's probably more likely to be out of the picture than in the picture at this point. You know, the bench is mixed. It's not bad, but they could probably use a stronger bench. It just feels like a team that's, you know, with their struggles this season, again, a lot of it kind of out of their control as far as the, the injuries, but it feels like this season of course, they've taken a step back, but I'm not sure what that next step is. You know, of course, they've got plenty of years for LaMelo Ball to get more consistency, uh, stay healthy, continue to be productive as he's been. I mean, this season, 23 points, eight and a half assists, six rebounds, 1.3 steals per game. That's all-star level play. If he had played every game this season, he would have a good chance of being an all-star again. There's no real issue with LaMelo's play, potentially, you know, figuring out how to take that next step from just being an exciting player to a winning type player, getting accustomed to being a winning team. But you're going to need the right pieces around that. And again, they've got some okay pieces. I don't know if Kelly Oubre is a long-term answer. I feel like he's... uh, in the next few years is going to become more a sixth man, really good offensive piece wherever he goes. Maybe he stays in Charlotte. Maybe he becomes a bigger piece than I'm thinking. He's been in the league a little while. Um, I mean, he's already, he's 27. He's still got plenty of basketball left to play, but still Hayward, of course, I don't think he's a long-term answer. Um, He's, you know, continue to show he's had struggle staying healthy. So he's probably not a huge factor for them as far as building their roster. Um, so there's just a lot of questions. If I'm a Horns fan, I don't feel terrible about this situation. You know, you could definitely be in a lot worse place as an organization. The Hornets are not in a bad spot. They've got a an already an all-star and, you know, a future potential, you know, all NBA type, type of player and a exciting point guard, a scoring point guard, a distributor, um, you know, someone to bring fans into the arena, LaMelo Ball, they've got a great player there. 
They've got plenty of pieces to show potential at the moment where they could grow into maybe, you know, consistent play in maybe playoff type team. But of course you want to elevate it more than that. The Hornets, even going back to the Bobcats era have struggled. They really haven't ever, not since they were the original Charlotte Hornets in the nineties, they haven't been that true playoff threat, like a solid playoff team, six and up seed that you really expect to, you know, make noise in the playoffs. Um, the the one time that a couple times they made the playoffs as the Bobcats, it was fairly easy first round exits. Um, the, the time or two they've made it as the Hornets, it's either been again first second round exit or it's been uh, you know a play in appearance and then they lose and they want to build into more than that. You know, for Hornets fans, it's probably you know it's not too upsetting. And that sounds sad because their team has struggled more than been successful in their recent history. But for that fan base, you definitely want to see them do more than just be maybe a playoff team, right? You want them to be, take that next step, be among the top, you know, top half, maybe even top third in the East, if you can get the right pieces. So again, that's where my questions lie. You've got a star player. You're good there. You need to find whatever that next piece is. And again, a lot of this is probably what Hornets fans already know, NBA fans already know. But, you know, we haven't talked a lot about the Hornets this year. And that kind of goes back to the whole point of doing our franchise focus anyways, is giving, allowing us some time to focus on each team. The Hornets, we've just mentioned that they've struggled to win games this season. And we've talked about LaMelo Ball being out with injury. And that's about all we've talked about with the Hornets, really, this season, other other than their game, you know, recapping their games as they've happened. So that's, you know, that's kind of where we start with this, is getting a clear idea of where the Hornets are at, focusing more on them than we ever have on the podcast to this point. You know, you've got McDaniels, Jalen McDaniels, Cody Martin, Nick Richards, off your bench and James Bonite. All of those have shown potential and they're young guys. That's gives you some depth pieces, maybe even Kai Jones along with that and JT Thor. Um, you have Lamella ball. We mentioned you have Terry Rozier. Your backcourt is pretty good, uh, especially scoring wise. They're set, you know, your center, Mark Williams, you figure out the depth at the center and then it's the wings. That's probably the big question. And that's where I think the Hornets would need to find the star type player. As the roster is currently constructed, if they want to get that, you know, true tertiary star or maybe even a, a guy that's super good that, you know, makes LaMelo this, this secondary star, it's it's got to be at that wing position and wing front court type, you know, three or four type spot. Because their starting pieces aren't bad. They're very solid, but it's not going to elevate this team from where they're currently at to being back in that playoff mixture and maybe even a top playoff type team. So that's probably the big question for the Hornets is getting that secondary star. And is it more specifically that wing type player, that forward type player? So uh, I do apologize, Hornets fans, if I'm, 
being if I've you know don't have the full picture of this or if I've kind of rambled through this um, but I'm doing my best to you know summarize where the Hornets are at and at least my thoughts as far as what the team looks like going forward again not a terrible spot you've got a star player you've got some pieces you've got potential you just need to figure out that next step and you need to get guys healthy and kind of right the ship that way uh it's a tough season this season you know it might be kind of you write off this year as as bad as that sounds and move on to next year's potential but um again could be in a worse spot uh not too concerned overall but there's definitely some questions and there's a touch of urgency as far as the hornets making moves to truly make themselves better so that's something to watch out for um so that's the hornets currently we talked about their kind of you know their high water mark over the last 10 or 20 years has been you know some playoff type appearances and i wanted to shout out one of those their one appearance as the charlotte bobcats and that's history that a lot of fans are kind of willing to forget that the bobcats ever existed um speaking of the bobcats in general most People will remember the Bobcats for a couple seasons after this where they won the fewest games in a season in NBA history. It was a lockout shortened season, so that's something to factor in. But they also had the lowest winning percentage of any team in NBA history. Um, and that is a percentage that can translate across you know, teams that play different numbers of games. So by at least one metric there the worst team in NBA history, which is unfortunate. Um, at this point, I definitely recommend if you've, whether or not you've already seen it, watch it again. You know, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Uh, Secret Base, formerly SB Nation. They, of course, do great, absolutely phenomenal content on YouTube uh, relating to sports history. And they have a whole, I'm guessing at least a couple hour video breaking down all sorts of aspects of that 2012 Charlotte Bobcats season game by game, uh, each player there, you know, storylines. It's a, a true history of that team and that season. So I definitely recommend checking that out. They've done that season more justice than I, I certainly could, but of course we're talking about a much more notable and much uh, more well thought of season, the 2010 Charlotte Bobcats, 2009-2010 season Charlotte Bobcats, their regular season record of 44 and 38, um, again, is one of the best winning percentages in their NBA history. Uh, discounting their uh, first stint as the Charlotte Bobcats, it is their uh, second best in their franchise history post uh you know charlotte bobcats birth uh second best behind the 2016 hornets so uh one of the best teams in their franchise history uh you know post move to new orleans and the rebirth of the franchise the coach was larry brown longtime coaching legend uh former aba star as a player and then of course got his coach uh coaching start in the aba as one NBA championship, NCAA championship, coaching legend. This was one of his last head coaching appearances. So he was maybe just a touch kind of out of the, the way, out of the, out the door in a sense, if that makes any sense at all. But uh, still, again, winning, 
winning season. Looking at the roster, they were led by the wings, Gerald Wallace and Steven Jackson. Steven Jackson, of course, a uh, uh, guy that likes to shoot, not a bad percentage shooter either. 21 points per game this season, five boards, nearly four assists. Good defensive player too. He got a start with the the Spurs, uh, the beginnings of the real dynasty of the Spurs right after they'd won that uh, first championship. That was where he got a start. He bounced around a bit. This was one of the later stops in his career and maybe one of his more fruitful campaigns, especially offensively. Gerald Wallace, the real star, though, 18 points, 10 rebounds per game, uh, two assists, 1.5 steals, one block. Really a, a standout, kind of a unique stat line, um, a stellar season for him. I, he was an all-star that year, very much deserved all-defensive player as well. Um incredible season for him there. So those wings really set the tone. They had Boris Diaw starting at power forward. Again, recommend watching that SB uh, or that secret base video to get a picture of who Boris Diaw is as a person and as a player, kind of eccentric, but brings a unique edge to, or a unique wrinkle to the, the Bobcats. Raymond Felton, steady point guard, solid point guard, not much more than that, but, you know, serviceable. The center's, Kind of center by committee. Um, in the playoffs, it looks like uh, Theo Ratliff got starts. Tyson Chandler got more minutes. In the regular season, it was kind of a three-way race between Tyson Chandler, Theo Ratliff, and Nazi Muhammad. All three of them productive. Tyson Chandler, this was um, just before he made his leap as a Dallas Maverick, the season prior to his championship campaign with the Mavericks. And he really shown himself as a defensive player of the year type of a player. Um, in fact, he had, he had shown that in moments with the Hornets, the New Orleans Hornets, that is. So this Bobcats run was a little bit of a regression, if you will, but he was still productive. I mean, six points, six boards and a block. Uh, Theo Ratliff, five points, four boards and one and a half blocks. Muhammad, uh, 8.5 boards. So again, that kind of center by committee, all playing sort of similar minutes, Chandler and Ratliff especially, made it work at the center spot, steady point guard, great wings. And that was kind of what elevated this Bobcats team to above average and being able to find uh, a playoff berth. The depth wasn't terrible. You had Tyrus Thomas uh, recently off his run with the Chicago Bulls. Decent power forward. You have Larry Hughes and kind of the back half of his career. He didn't play too many games this season. Uh, he was kind of a later addition, uh, but was with them for the playoff push. Still a solid point, you know, combo guard. DJ Augustine, younger point guard off the bench. One of you know his early runs in the NBA might have been his, I mean, it was his sophomore season. You know, solid uh, backup point guard. Uh, and then, you know, deep bench were a lot of the guys that would, turn out to be key members of that 2012 team as the, you know, these top guys were all kind of gone. I mean, by the 2012 season, Gerald Wallace, Steven Jackson, Raymond Felton, Tyson Chandler, Theo Ratliff, they were all gone. So, uh, and so was Larry Hughes, Nazi Muhammad. So like a lot of these reserve guys got elevated to starting or, you know, backup roles. Um, but Sagana Jop was there. Derek Brown, Gerald Henderson, I'm willing to bet that was Gerald Henderson's rookie year. Yes, it was. So, you know, just a, a decent all-around team. 
not one that's really going to excite people. They lost in the first round in a sweep to the Magic, but it was a playoff appearance. It was Gerald Wallace's best team, or, or best season, rather. It was one of Steven Jackson's best seasons. That tandem was, uh, you know, very productive. And, you know, it was it's, it's a team worth noting, I think. You know, and again, they lose in the first round to the Magic, who would – who were last se- the, the prior season's uh, Eastern Conference champions. So not too much of a, a competition there, but just thought I'd highlight them and what they were able to do that season. Um, you look at that roster, you'd probably expect them to still miss the playoffs. So credit to Coach Larry Brown and credit to that squad for exceeding expectations and making a push and, and uh, you know, being a playoff team. So uh, shout out to them. A guy that would be added to the team for that 2012 season in his rookie year, uh, drafted out of UConn, Kemba Walker. He's going to be our uh, franchise legend slash key player. That gets us to our last section of the franchise focus. Uh, Cardiac Kemba, of course, uh, is one of the greatest players in Hornets franchise history. You look at the franchise history and – Compared to franchises like the Celtics and the Lakers, it's certainly not as exciting of a um, group as far as franchise all-time greatest player. But Kemba Walker, we shouldn't discount how good he was in Charlotte, especially you take his uh, last four seasons in Charlotte. He played eight eight total seasons with the, the Bobcat slash Hornets franchise. The first of which we mentioned was the 2012 campaign. He played all 66 games of that abbreviated campaign, uh, was kind of your typical rookie point guard. Since that point, he was steadily growing into a, you know, a easily starting caliber point guard. But from 2015 through 2019, he was one of the top 10 point guards in the NBA. Uh, by the end of it, maybe even a top five point guard, the way he was playing uh, across those last four seasons, uh, one of them being a playoff berth with, as the newly christened Charlotte Hornets, uh, rechristened Charlotte Hornets, over those last four seasons, Kemba Walker averaged 23 points per game, five and a half assists, four rebounds, and 1.3 steals on pretty good percentages all around, 43% from the floor, thirty nearly 38% from three, 85 from the free throw line. And he made the all-star team three of those last four years in his last season in Charlotte, 2019, he had his best year, 25 and a half points per game, six assists and 1.2 steals. And he's the franchise all-time leader in points. I believe Um, he's, you know, kind of underappreciated. Yes. He, he took over, he has 12,000, career points with the Charlotte Hornets, much more than second place Dell Curry with nearly 10,000. So he's the franchise all-time leader in points, but he was also um, a, a true professional, not just from his performances, but he was also a two-time NBA Sportsmanship Award winner. So he was a great you know, guy to play against along with playing with as, as a, a very talented player. Uh, in college, he was a you know very decorated college player, and he did. You compare him to guys of his size, you know, six foot one eighty five, 
the history of those type of players is certainly not as decorated as your 6'3", 190 to 200 type point guards. So what he was able to do for his size is, I think, especially worth talking about how great Kemba Walker was. And the thing is, I don't understand why his career is in kind of a a halted moment. We mentioned after his Hornets run, he would go on to play with the Boston Celtics. He played two seasons there, was still pretty productive. His percentages were about the same, maybe even touch higher from three. His scoring and his assists were about the same. He was still productive on competitive Celtics squads, made another all-star team in 2020, and then played the next season with the Knicks and had a really steep drop-off. Playing just a touch less minutes, uh, his percentages weren't bad, but his, his scoring was down, his assists were down, wasn't shooting the ball as much, and then was traded in the offseason, uh, released, uh, signed a contract with the Mavericks this season for uh, a few weeks, had one really nice game, and then he was released about a month or two ago, and now he's in limbo, kind of out of the league, outside looking in, and he's only 32. And I don't understand why he hasn't been picked up as a potential, um, you know, even a reserve point guard just for that offense, a team that needs offense off the bench. You know, if it's even just that alone, he could provide that for you. Um, We kind of forget how stellar he was when he was, you know, an all-star in Charlotte and what he was able to do for that team. If he wasn't playing for those Hornets teams, that team that was around him that was elevated to a competitive squad in the East, that team would have probably been one of the worst teams in the Eastern conference. No offense to any of those other players, but Kemba really elevated that group to, to be, you know, play above what you kind of expect for them. So that's my glowing take on Kemba Walker. Um, My, my closing remarks would be, I hope that he gets another chance to play in the NBA uh, within the next year or two. Um, and he was a, a fantastic player in Charlotte, and we should, you know, just kind of uh, recognize that and remember his career for that, I suppose. So uh, with that, that takes care of our franchise focus for the Charlotte Hornets. Again, I hope uh, for all you Hornets fans out there that I did, uh, you know, an appropriate job covering the, the team and their history. Um, thanks again, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll be back with you either on your normal week of scheduled show or on our next bonus franchise focus episode. And uh, we'll be back with you then.